Yeah, so much going on, and it's like, uh, you know, what's the latest crisis that we're supposed to respond to? And I have uh, taught on and off for the last several weeks about spiritual warfare. I started off by talking about the reality of our enemy, all right? Jesus Christ said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come to give you, New Living Translation says, a rich and satisfying life. Well, the thief is the enemy of our souls. The thief is the devil. And, you know, that kind of puts a cartoonish figure in some of our minds, but the reality is this is a fallen angel who was very, very powerful, um, once uh, known as Lucifer, who was able to convince a third of the angels in God's army to follow him, and that's where we get the devil and demons. And so what we have in front of us at all times is a spiritual war. You have an enemy. In fact, the scripture says very clearly, don't fear the one that can kill the body. Who can kill the body? Well, a lot of people can kill your body, okay? Um, you know, if, you're, if your immune system is compromised, uh, if, uh, you know, you've got respiratory problems or whatever, I mean, you know, COVID-19 has been known to kill people. Um, uh, people get killed out there on the street because somebody uh, was angry with them or because they were being robbed or any number of things. But see, if you know Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, that's the worst anybody can do to you. Amen? That's it. That's the worst anybody can do to you. Um, and if you know Jesus, then you know where you're headed. And if I know where I'm headed, then there's nothing anybody can do to me down here on earth that can take that eternal security away from me. So that's, that's what I need to have. I need to have that security. Now, that doesn't mean that I just want to go and meet my maker uh, anytime, you know, in the next couple of days or something like that. Uh, but the Apostle Paul did say to live as Christ, to die as gain. I wonder how many of us can say that. I'm not totally sure I can say that, although on some days I'm so tired of all this, I'm like, I'm ready, let's just go. <laughs> you know, let's just, just make it peaceful. I just I, Let me close my eyes and then wake up in heaven and that'd be fine with me. You know, I just don't want to deal with all this drama. But the reality is, once that fear of death is removed, there's actually nothing anybody or anything down here can do to put you in a position to have uh, any sort of desperation or fear. Um, so then what we need to recognize is that we're down here and we're moving around for a reason for the number of years that we have, however many years that may be. Um, we lost our brother Vernon uh, this year in March, and he lived until he was 96 and a half, and that's a blessing. But other people don't live quite that long. We lost our brother Jonathan uh, when he was only 19 in 2017. Um, you don't know how long you've got, and by the way, what you do contributes to that, by the way. Uh, Vernon lived a very healthy life. He really, really did. Now, that's not always bulletproof, okay? You can live a very healthy life and, and still end up passing away at some point in time. But what I'm trying to get across is, once you get past the fear of death, then what you need to realize is that you're down here for a purpose, and that purpose is to propagate, to spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus. But the enemy of our souls is going to be rapidly uh, opposed to that. And you're going to encounter difficulties, and you're going to uh, encounter opposition, and you just need to be ready for that. Kids, if you tell people you believe in Jesus and you really live it out, some other kids might like that, and then there might be some kids that don't like that, okay? But you've just got to decide, you know what? I'm going to live for Jesus no matter what. It doesn't matter what some other kid thinks of me. If that kid doesn't like me because of that, well, maybe I don't need them as a friend, but maybe they need a friend. Maybe I'll just be nice to them, and they'll see that somebody that believes in Jesus is actually pretty cool, 
And yeah, maybe they'll kind of let down their guard and then you can talk to them about how much you love Jesus and how cool church can be. And you know, yeah, all that kind of good stuff. Thumbs up. Yeah, you're a smart kid, Ransom. All right. So I want to keep the kids involved in this. Um, it's a spiritual war. That's what it is. We're, we're, we're fighting a very real enemy in what the scripture calls the heavenlies. What, what are the heavenlies? What is that? Well, let's just think of it as an alternate set of dimensions. Okay, Twilight Zone. What's the pastor talking about right now? Well, the reality is even scientists, physicists, cosmologists will tell you that in the, the first fractional instance of time, before uh, the, their, their concept of creation is the Big Bang, there had to have been multiple other dimensions that existed. I read one uh, cosmologist that said upward of 38 other dimensions well, what dimensions do you and I experience? Three dimensions of space, right? Back and forth, side to side, up and down, and then time. And you only experience time in half a dimension, right? You can only experience time going forward. You can remember time in the past, but you only experience time going forward. So we really only experience three and a half dimensions, but that doesn't mean that's all there is. So what I'm trying to open your mind to is something beyond the, the typical superstitious ideas that surround these statements like the devil or the heavenlies, right? The heavenlies is the biblical way of talking about God's space, the spirit realm, this other set of dimensions where these entities or these beings dwell that we don't experience unless they penetrate through that into our set of dimensions, into our earthly realm, okay? It is a spiritual war that we are dealing with. So a couple of weeks ago, um, we put uh, Asher up here, and we put all of the armor on him, as I read from Ephesians chapter 6 about the full armor of God, we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. Man, you got to guard your heart for from under the wellsprings of life. You need to live a righteous life. You need to live uh, a life that is in line, aligned with God, doing what's good and what's right. Protect your, your heart at all costs. Okay. Uh, he said you'd have to have the helmet of salvation. Man, you don't even want to walk out your front door without the helmet of salvation on. Helmet of salvation is what guarantees you that you've got eternal life, and that's why you don't have to fear death, right? So you got the helmet of salvation. Well, what else? Oh, you got the, the, uh, the shoes of the gospel or the greaves. They, they covered the shins and went down actually over the top of the shoes, and uh, that's what gives you the motivation to go out and to walk around. You have good news to share. So we're not out moving around so that we can start arguments with people. We're not out moving around just so that we can get by. We have good news to share, and that good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus proved that God loves us, that he came and he lived out the life that God expects from us, that we can't live by ourselves, but that with the indwelling presence of Christ, the Holy Spirit, we can live that out because he gives us a new nature, and that new nature becomes the norm for us. Hey, that's a good way of understanding a new normal. You know, we're all talking about the new normal. I can't remember who was telling me they hated that phrase. Actually, probably multiple of you have told me that. Um, but the new normal for you should be living a Christ-like life rather than just living the old, self-centered, fleshly life. That's the life in the natural. The life in the natural is all about self-preservation. It's all about self-protection. It's all about personal profit and personal passion. But living for Christ means, as I said earlier, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I'm out there to extend the kingdom of God. I'm out there to, to proclaim the gospel. You might not be a preacher like me, but you are, in fact, given the task, the responsibility, the great commission of sharing the gospel. 
Well, if I'm out there doing that, then the enemy is going to want to come at me. He's going to want to come against me. The interesting thing is the scripture says that if I submit to God and resist the devil, he will have to flee. But the first thing I have to do is submit to who? And then I have to do what? Resist the devil. So in Ephesians, it said, take your stand. In fact, that word stand is used multiple times in Ephesians 6. Stand firm, stand, stand, right? So we take our stand against the enemy. That doesn't mean that we go finding, you know, where evil is going on and, and put ourselves in the middle of trouble, okay? As a matter of fact, there's a proverb that says, if you go seeking after trouble, it will find you. You don't have to go very far. If you go looking for trouble, it's going to find you sooner or later and probably sooner than later, right? But I take my stand against the enemy when the enemy comes up against me. But what does that mean? Well, um, the scripture that I want to look at briefly today, and I have a ream of notes on this, and I brought them up here, but I'm under no uh, uh, delusion that I'm going to get through all of these because I taught all the way through. I taught all the way through 2 Corinthians a couple of years ago, and I have 190 pages of notes. So um, not on this passage, but I do have multiple pages on this passage. So we're not going to go that far today. And those of you that are, are still wearing your mask are like, oh, please don't. I'll pass out. So some of you are good at this. You have to do this at work. So you're like, man, I'm a champ, whatever. I can do this. I can do this all day. It's like, you know, Captain America, I can do this all day, right? You haven't watching that? So it's, it's a theme in, in Captain America, beginning at the beginning when he was real skinny and he was getting beat up. And then he would just pop up from getting beat up. He said, I can do this all day. It's great. It's endurance. All right. Um, but I can't do it all day. I have to pull this thing down over my nose and go, <laughs> and then pull it back up. Uh, so, but in any event, this is a spiritual war. Here's what the scripture says. This is uh, um, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. It says, for although we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, but the weapons of our warfare are mighty before God for the pulling down of strongholds. Oh, wow. He says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So let's take that apart. He says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Walking in the flesh could mean something bad. It could mean that you are just living by instinct like, a, like you know, an animal that doesn't have any sort of morality, right? Walking in the natural without God. But in the sense that the Apostle Paul is using it here, when he says, for although we walk in the flesh, he's recognizing you do have a natural body and you're not going to escape that as long as you're on earth, Okay. So while we don't need to have fear for something like uh, COVID-19, we do need to exercise caution, washing your hands, exercising social distancing, those sorts of things. That's just the, the wise thing to do. That's just the smart thing to do. The two extremes are foolish. One is to act like it's not even real and it's not happening. And the other one is to cloister yourself inside and never go outside. And, you know, that's unhealthy as well. And I've seen numerous instances of that. Um, but the point is, you do have a flesh. You do have a natural body. You have to take care of it. That means you've got to eat. Kids, that means that you can't eat just candy all the time. Right? you got to eat healthy. you got to eat fruit. Vegetables. Oh. Meat. Uh-oh. Yeah, some of you little kids don't like meat, and I don't know why. You're not going to grow any muscle without any meat. 
Okay, you got to do healthy things. That's why we got a karate club. I've got I got a, a club in here to teach these kids how to defend themselves, but it also teaches them how to be healthy. It gives them some exercise, right? And for a while there, we were kind of like the only thing going. These kids weren't even you know able to get out of the house too much, and uh, and so you know I wanted to give them some exercise. You you got to do these things for your physical body. You walk in the natural. You walk in the flesh. But that doesn't mean that when there's a spiritual war going on, you try to wage war in accordance with the flesh. And that is exactly what we see going on all over our country today, is people screaming and yelling at each other. They may have a good cause. They may not have a good cause. At this point, I'm not even concerned about that. I'm concerned about the methodology. I'm concerned about going out there and trying to accomplish things on your own, by yourself, or with your group of people, without the Spirit's guidance and without the Spirit's power and without prayer. And I told you guys this story a ways back. We've got a few new people, but, you know, even preachers like me are apt to do this. You know, there were several Saturdays back before the shutdown, there was a guy that was in an argument across the street, and I decided I could just go break up the fight. And I walked across the street, didn't pray, didn't enter into any kind of spiritual war or anything like that, just got right up to this guy and, hey, what's going on? And, you know, try to shut it down. And, boy, the guy just... Blustered, blustered right up and got in my chest and started, and I was like, oh, okay, this was a bad idea, right? I later found out that that guy's a lawyer, so if I'd have done anything stupid, he probably would have sued me, right? It, the thing is, you know, you might think, and I thought I was doing a good thing. I thought I was doing the right thing, but see, that was me in the natural. That was me carrying on a war against what I considered to be bad or evil, but I was doing it on my own. When you do that, then you're left with the gifts that you have, which may be significant or they may be insignificant. It just depends on the person that you are and so forth. But the reality is I'm never going to really get through to somebody's heart unless I am walking in the spirit, unless I'm praying, unless I'm really, really dealing with them on that spiritual level. So even when I am laughing or joking, um, even when I'm doing something else, Oftentimes, I'm praying up here, right? So I might be talking to you about one thing, but I might be praying for you. Yeah. See, ladies, it's not just women that can multitask. Some of us guys can multitask too, right? Because I am averse to uh, kind of this religious feel Right? I, will, I will ask people if they would like for me to pray for them sometimes, but I don't want them to get that wrong idea that, you know, I'm just trying to be a religious guy or, oh, well, I'm a pastor, so I'm going to come across with that voice and say, would you like me to pray for you, brother? Amen. As I'd be happy to pray for you. Can I lay hands on you right now? And they're like, okay, this guy's a little on the weird side. I'm not sure. Or they might like that. I don't know. You know, COVID, they might not like me to lay hands on them for sure. But nonetheless, it is a spiritual war. This is what I'm telling you. You can be praying all the time. So I, I read these statements all the time uh, about prayer being taken out of schools. Prayer's never been taken out of schools as long as there's a student who has a test to take. Because you know you're praying before you take that test, right? If you have a relationship with Jesus, now, you can't expect him, teenagers, to give you the answers. Just, Lord, give me the answers. Did you study? He's not giving you the answers. I'm sorry. Just feed me the answers, Lord. Move the pen, Jesus. Move the pen. It's not going to work that way. 
right? But you can ask him to help you do your best. You can ask him to remind you. In fact, the Holy Spirit has promised that he will bring to your memory uh, what you need to know, particularly as relates to talking to people about him. But nonetheless, you should be in prayer while you're taking a test. When you're talking to friends and that the conversation gets, you know, amped up about uh, some particular issue, whether it's a local issue in your school or it's something between you and that person or whether it's in our wider world, you can be praying while you're talking. You can be praying while you're listening. That's part of what it means to engage in spiritual warfare. So although we walk in the natural, we walk in the flesh, that's not how we wage war. We wage war in the spirit, right? So how does he say we do that? So we saw, you know, the, the armor. I didn't get to all of it. It says that we have a shield of faith, which, as I indicated to you two weeks ago, uh, just like Captain America's shield can be used as a weapon. It could be used to strike. In fact, the bronze shields that were used by the hoplite warriors, the Greek warriors, were round like Captain America's shield, and they did use them to pop people. You get hit with a bronze shield, you're going to go down, right? You get hit with the corner of that shield, and it'll cut you good. And then the sword of the spirit. The Roman sword was about 18 inches long, which is the, the distance from my elbow to the tip of my finger. All right, average size human male. That's about 18 inches right there, which the Bible calls that a cubit. But that was about the length of uh, the, uh, the sword that the, the Roman soldier would carry. And that was for close quarters fighting. You know, we don't shoot missiles at the devil. Although... It says that the shield of faith is designed to save you because he does shoot fiery missiles at you, okay? That's why I need to have that faith. But what does this scripture teach here? The apostle Paul says, so although we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, but the weapons of our warfare are mighty before God. I'm sorry, I memorized this in a really old translation. What does that mean? They're divinely powerful. As I mentioned to you, and I don't know if you'll remember, the armor that you put on belongs to God. It's from him. It kind of reminds me of, uh, of the armor that was, uh, that was worn. Uh, there's, a, there's a story in uh, the, uh, the, either the Odyssey or the Iliad. I can't remember which of the, the two uh, this story comes out of. But it is the, the story uh, about the, the city of Troy and a battle that was going on there. And one of these warriors wore armor that had been made by Hephaestus, who was the, the lord of the underworld, right? He had this perfect armor. Now, do you know who this warrior was? His name was Achilles. Have you heard of Achilles? All right. You have a what tendon in the back of your ankle? An Achilles tendon, okay? So... When Achilles was, uh, was born, apparently, he was dipped in this special solution, this special water, whatever, that would protect him all over. He had special armor. But the one weakness was his heel where they grabbed him to dip him in. There was a weak point. There was a chink in the armor, if you will, right? So you could have perfectly forged armor, but if there is a weakness in it somewhere and that enemy exploits that weakness, then that's how you go down, okay? The weapons of our warfare are mighty before God. They're divinely powerful. In other words, he's the one, the Lord is the one, almighty God is the one that gives you these weapons. You have to put yourself in a position to receive them, right? And then he says, 
for the purpose of the weapons of our warfare are mighty before God for the destruction of strongholds. Right? So the Greek word here is okurima, and it represented a, a fortress, uh, usually a tower-like structure, but often that would have a, a large cavernous basement, if you will, that people could go into to be protected. But any city would have one or more of these fortresses, these strongholds, and they really trusted in them because their warriors could go up and be above the fray, but they could shoot arrows from the, the top of that fortress. There are a couple of interesting stories in the Old Testament about these. Um, the last time I taught on this, I related those stories. I don't have time to do that today. But this stronghold that we need to pull down relates to what the next two statements will give us in the scripture. It says that the weapons of our warfare are mighty before God for the destruction of strongholds. We are destroying speculations. And every lofty thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. Speculations. What's, what does it mean to speculate? Well, you know, I think God is like this. I believe this is my truth. That's your truth. This is my truth. I believe that this is the... How many of you know that God is an objective reality? Do you know that? That God is an... You say, I don't even know what objective is, Pastor. That means he's a reality apart from your thinking. He's a reality apart from your opinion. Do you, do you believe that? Yeah? He's not a figment of my imagination. Okay, listen. God is not a concept. You have a God concept. That means you have an idea of God or about God, but God is not a concept. God is not an idea. God is a person. God is an intelligence. God is an almighty will that was capable of speaking the universe into existence. This is an amazing being. This is the being that brought you into existence. And in fact, you're amazing, not because somebody else told you that, and by the way, the corollary of that is you are amazing even if other people don't think that. Even if your significant friends don't seem to be acting like that right now, you're still amazing because you've been made in the imago dei. Say imago dei. Latin for you've been made in the image of God. Okay? So some weeks ago, we, we, were, we were hearing uh, the, the, the phrase Black Lives Matter again and again, and I like what uh, Pastor Craig and his daughter Jubilee, when they marched in a couple of those, uh, those protests uh, to represent Jesus well, uh, they had a sign that said, you matter. Do you know why you matter? You don't matter because I say so. It's, it's nice if your parents tell you that. That's nice. But that's not really why you matter either. You don't matter because you perform well, and everybody's like, oh, oh my gosh, that was amazing. Because then you only matter as good as your last performance, right? So what happens when you give it your best, but things just fall apart, the other people don't do well? I've had sermons like this, where I walked out, and I thought that I did really well, and people, they say that <clears throat> when someone is guilty, the jury won't look at them when they come in the room. There are times when I get finished with my sermon and y'all walk by me like this. Like, hmm, I must have done really, really well today. 
I don't know why that is. No, that's not why you're valuable. You don't matter because th- there's a huge parade in your honor. You don't matter because, uh, you know, you made straight A's or whatever. And again, the corollary is, kids, you might have tried your very best. Maybe you're a good student. Maybe school is harder for you. But you still matter even if your grades were not quite as good as you would like for them to be. Because God is the one who evaluates, who gives you value. That's the only evaluation, the only judgment that you need to be worried about. You don't need to be worried about the judgment or the opinion of other people. You do, however, need to be worried very much about, very concerned, I should say, about the judgment or the opinion of God. God will grant you right standing with him if you will put your faith in his son Jesus who lived the perfect life that you and I should live but failed to live and then died for the imperfect life, the sinful life that we do live, and then rose from the dead to overcome death and sin and hell. And then he grants you that eternal life and that right standing with God. With that right standing, I walk in grace. And I realize that God's opinion of me is the only opinion that matters. And so it doesn't matter whether my friends are are really, really good friends right now or they're not such good friends right now. It doesn't matter whether I get falsely accused of something. It doesn't matter if I get a promotion or if I lose my job. That doesn't determine my value. What determines my value is what God thinks of me. Now, what I'm doing right now is I'm injecting you with truth that will enable you to pull down a lot of strongholds. People say a lot of trash about themselves in their minds. And sometimes you will jump the opposite direction and get cocky and arrogant in front of other people to try to hide the fact that you really don't think very highly of yourself. We often assume that people that are cocky, I'm the best, I'm the greatest, what are you talking about? We often assume that those are just really confident people, right? And, you know, maybe they're just like, oh, gosh, he's overly confident or whatever. But sometimes what they might be doing is they might be trying to mask the fact, cover the reality that they really, really don't feel like that. Because the reality is if you're genuinely confident, you don't have to boast about it all the time. In fact, you don't have to boast about it at all. Strong people are just strong. Intelligent people are just intelligent. Talented people are just talented. If you need to go around telling people that you're the leader all the time, you're not. People follow leaders. Do you want to know if you're a leader? Look behind you. Is anybody following you? No? Then you're not. Okay? Now, you don't have to be leading 100,000 people to be a leader. You can be leading one or two people. You're leading people regardless. But all of these are truths. We, we speculate about God. We speculate about ourselves. We listen to what other people say about us. Okay? We start, we start thinking these things. Oh, I'm too skinny. Oh, I'm too fat. Oh, I'm ugly. For a long time. And you guys know that this has been coming to this church forever. You see that I'm wearing braces. See? Huh? Huh? <laughs> I'm proud of my braces. Because they're going to come off in about another year, and I'm going to have straight teeth for the first time in my entire life. I wouldn't smile for the longest time because my teeth were, they embarrassed me. Now, none of you ever acted like that, and I'm blessed because of that, because you're not superficial people, and I'm thankful for that. But I eventually just, I took money out of my retirement to do this. This should have happened when I was 12, and my parents couldn't afford it, right? You might be in the same situation, okay? 
my worth is not based on this. I'm just telling you, for the longest time, I saw myself as ugly because of my teeth. And I still have a hard time as seeing myself uh, as being a very nice-looking person, all right? Now, I'm just telling you that because I don't get my esteem from that, and I'm looking for a compliment from anyone either. I'm hoping to tell you that so that you can look at yourself and look at areas where the enemy is causing you to speculate about yourself, okay? Your identity is not wrapped up in your physical appearance. Your identity is not wrapped up in, gentlemen, how much muscle you have, ladies, whether you're rail thin or not. Okay, that's not where your identity needs to come from. Your identity needs to come from Christ. Well, believe it or not, these are the first, uh, the first parts of the spiritual war happen right inside here, right? They happen with, within your heart. They happen with your emotions. And kids, this starts happening at your age. Now, I remember when I was a kid in school, the thing that really bothered me was I didn't feel like I was popular enough. I wanted to be more popular. You might call it cool. You might call it being popular. You might call it, you know, having a lot of friends, whatever. I just wanted to be one of those cool kids that had a lot of friends. And I always had a few friends, right? But I was also kind of a loner, sort of an individual. Before I came to know Jesus, I wasn't a super outgoing person. In fact, I got along better with adults than I did with other kids. Like adults really used to like to talk to me because I was just really smart and I could just talk to adults. And they treated me right. Whereas kids were, it was all about competition, whether they're better than you or not and so forth. And so all the way through school, I just didn't think I was very popular. In fact, I can remember, kids, this is for you. This is why I'm telling the kids story. Is there anybody in fourth grade right now? Fourth grade? Oh, there's a fourth grader. So when I was in fourth grade, we had an election for the class president. My teacher was Mr. Drown, D-R-O-W-N, and he was actually a preacher. He was the pastor of a church. In fact, this is one of the only churches I ever went to. It was right up the road from our school and, and very close to where I live. So I walked to his church a few times, okay? And I was in his class. Um, so... There was an election for the class president. Now, you know, class president when you're in high school is like, you know, your entire group of 11th graders, 12th graders. This was as in our little classroom of 25 people. I stayed up all night making out these special vote for me notes and putting candy on them. And I personally went to each kid in the I wanted to be the class president. Handed each kid in the class this special note that I had with this candy and everything. I got a total of two votes. Mine was one of them. I don't know who the other kid was that voted for me, but thank goodness at least it was someone else that voted for me. That was nice. But that'll crush you if you're looking at other kids to get your value. But if you realize that God loves you and God made you, and not everybody's going to realize how important you are, how significant you are, but God does, then you can start pulling down those speculations about yourself right away, okay? The spiritual war starts inside of you. It starts about how you think of yourself and more importantly, how you think of God, because it says we're pulling down strongholds and we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. See, ultimately... You start thinking of God 
in a way that you receive by looking out at the world. We need to look at the word, not the world. But people have these ideas about God. Here's some speculations. God just isn't there. That's a speculation. Some people may call themselves agnostics, but they have that speculation in their mind. Yeah, God just probably isn't there. I'm not going to for sure say he's not there. He might be out there somewhere. Maybe he got the universe started, but he's just not there. That's the way some people are thinking. Even people that are in church, they are in church to try to get themselves to believe that God is there, but they start looking around and they start saying, well, it just doesn't seem like, I don't feel that God is there. So that's a speculation that you need to pull down. Now, there are arguments for the existence of God. So if that's an intellectual argument that you're going through, the best argument for the existence of God is just to look at nature the order of it, the beauty of it, all right? Next time you get a chance, go out when it's really nice and dark and look up at the stars, right? The scripture says the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament his praise. It says night to night they, 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 they give out knowledge and, and they speak, but they don't use words. That means if you look up at the sky, if you look at the stars, you get this overwhelming impression of the vastness of it, but you also get this overwhelming impression of the fact that Wow, there's a creator here. My birthplace is the Grand Canyon, Grand Canyon, Arizona, South Rim. To this day, when I go back and visit my birthplace, I am absolutely overwhelmed. I can't, it brings tears into my eye. I can't believe that there is something like, oh, well, the Colorado River just dug that. Really? That, you're, you're giving me the, the how. I'm giving you the who and the why. The who is almighty God and the why is to impress me that he is an amazing creator. It's beautiful. Why does it strike me that it's so beautiful? Not because I was born there. I invite you to go there. I used to take teenagers to the Rocky Mountains uh, to ski. I've been to every major ski resort in Colorado. All right. I've drug them up there uh, in little buses and big buses and, you know, tour buses and everything. We've been to all of them. You can mention a major ski resort and I've been there. Okay. And once you get up on that lift and you just start going up and you start looking around, it's just amazing. Last year, I took our, our youth group to Estes Park. Was it not beautiful? Every day you went out there and went, it was just beautiful. Okay. This is the best testimony to the reality that there is a God. But then some people might say, okay, I agree. He's there, but he doesn't care. He just doesn't care. Look around you, man. And so we look at all of the inequity. We look at the, the economic inequity. We look at the injustice in the world. We look at, you know, here's a, here's a church like ours, and, and, and we seem to be preserved, and we seem to be safe. But then there's a church down in Sutherland Springs where a guy came in uh, with a, his uh, assault rifle and mowed down. I mean, he shot every person in the room, and he killed 26 of them. I, he just kept shooting. Uh, you know, uh, so you start working these these things through your mind. You say, well, God just, he doesn't care, I guess, right? Those are supposed to be his people. The reality is we just don't know God's plan in each and every situation. If this life were all there is, then you could come to that conclusion. Oh, God just doesn't care. But here's the reality. I don't mean to sound callous and rude. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Somehow, 
at some point in time, you're going to die of something. Now, I hope you all live to be Vernon's age. I do. I really do. I will pray for it. But I can't guarantee that. You need to be ready to meet God because eternal life is what this life is about. You're getting prepared for eternity. You don't know when your ticket is going to get punched. Now, again, I don't want to lose my life today or tomorrow or anytime soon. But I'd rather catch a bullet and die that fast than lay in a bed staring up the ceiling for years. Okay? Again, I'm not trying to be callous. I'm not trying to be crude or rude. I'm just trying to get you to, to think beyond the way we normally think, which is, well, that's so tragic. Why didn't God care for that church? Listen, this is a church about the size of that one. I've asked that question. I'm still asking that question, and I'm trying to answer it in front of you. God has a plan. You and I just don't always know it. So I can't look at a per particular set of circumstances and presume that God doesn't care. I'm going to look at Jesus and know that God cares. Because he died on the cross for my sins and for yours. And he was buried and he rose. That's the proof that God cares. You can't look at this person or that person or this testimony or that testimony. That's, that's a, a failure, I think, uh, today. We assume that an anecdote is evidence. Does anybody know what I mean by that? What's an anecdote? A personal story or example or illustration, okay? So somebody may have an anecdote in their personal experience that would indicate that the, the coronavirus is deadly. Maybe they have somebody in their family or in their life that died as the result of this. And so that's their perspective. But they have a perspective that's based upon that anecdote, that individual story, okay? What I told you earlier about my experience in fourth grade, that's an anecdote, that's a story. An anecdote can illustrate, but it doesn't count as evidence. It's an example. I need to demonstrate that there's wider evidence, right? So we need to stop taking a meme and go, that's it. That's it. Somebody made a meme. That's the truth. No, that's just an example. That's a way of communicating, okay? You need to go out and look at the wider evidence. So that's what I've been doing regarding the coronavirus. I've been looking at the wider evidence. But I want you to notice, I knew I was going to take my mask off today and preach, and I know I spit when I preach, so I moved the teenagers further back. Aren't you guys excited? You guys wondered why I stuck you so far out there, didn't you? I cleared out a row, because then my spit's only going to go to about right there. And not land on your mask, and you're going to, oh, no, I don't have it, and I'm not going to get it. But anyway, okay. The weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for the destruction of strongholds. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. You know what the lofty things are? These are values that we hold in opposition to biblical values. These are the things that I personally hold as important that God doesn't hold as being important. And those values can become idols. They can come in between me and God because I'm holding on to something that to me is more valuable than God, or that causes me to reconceive, conceptualize God. And this is what we see in churches all over the country today. They're changing their opinion about biblical values in order to be in agreement with the culture. 
Now, I'm not going to get into details this morning because I don't want to get into a fight with uh, with all of y'all or with anyone about any particular value. But I want you to look at various values that you would hold. If they are in opposition to the scripture and what the scripture teaches, then they are interfering with your ability to have a clear relationship with God. Now, this could be something as simple as a habit that the Lord has clearly shown me that I need to get rid of, but I hang on to and I cling to it. This is why anything can stand between you and God. Anything can lead you to hell. Even the most minor of things can lead you to hell. If God said, no, I don't want you doing that, it's clear in his word, and you still hang on to it, then that is something that you have raised up against the knowledge of God, right? That's, that's something that you have made into a lofty thing. Um, uh, this can be something that's minor. It can be something that maybe doesn't even offend other people, but it's something that the Lord has clearly shown you again and again that you need to get rid of in your personal life, and you simply will not get rid of it. You won't fight it. You won't deal with it, right? Or maybe you've tried a few times, and this is... Uh, part of why you might speculate that God doesn't care. Well, God won't take this away from me. I still feel the same way. I'm going to tell you, there was an affliction that the Apostle Paul had, and nobody knows what it is. Some theologians speculate that this affliction the Apostle Paul had might uh, have had something to do with his eyes because the Lord blinded him for three days when he was on the road to Damascus ready to kill Christians and ready to take them captive and persecute them, right? But the Apostle Paul, in this very same book, by the way, that we were, we've been looking at here in 2 Corinthians, in fact, just a couple of chapters over from where, where we're at right now, he said that he asked the Lord three times to take this away, and the Lord said, no. My power is perfected in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you. See, the, the reality is we want control. I want control over this affliction. I want control over this addiction. I want control over this habit. And God says, I don't want to give you control. I want you to rely on me that I am in control. And the reality is the things that I've struggled with throughout my life have again and again caused me to identify with people who are dealing with difficulties. If I just cleared all of those things off my plate and never had another problem, it would just make me sanctimonious and self-righteous and, and make me look down on people and say, well, what's wrong with you? Why don't you just get rid of that habit? I don't get it. I, I don't have any bad habits. I am. I'm perfect. You know? And I think that's one of the main reasons why the Lord leaves some of these things in our lives, some of these temptations, some of these habits. So, our job is, our role is not to affirm the habit and say, well, that's it, and that's who I am. Not to affirm that attachment, not to affirm that attraction, not to affirm that addiction, but to continue to resist and to trust the Lord to take me through each individual temptation. For no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear, but will with the temptation provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Amen? You can go through it with his power. What I need to avoid doing is raising that up as a value that opposes God, 
I need to pull these things down. And the last thing he says is, we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's the secret. Every thought, every angry thought, every jealous thought, every hostile thought, every temptation to lie or prop myself up, make myself seem more significant to other people. All of these, every sin begins as a thought. You realize that, right? That's, it begins, it's conceived in the heart and in the mind. And then when it is born, it is born as sin. And when it's full grown, it becomes death. That's what James says. But it begins as a thought, and that's where I need to attack. So, let me ask you a question. Have any of you ever seen an oak tree? Have any of you ever tried to pull an oak tree up by the roots? You can pull the bumper off your truck trying to pull an oak tree up, okay? So what do you think would be easier? To pick an acorn, what's an acorn? What's an acorn? It's basically the seed of an oak tree, right? Would it be easier to pick an acorn up off the ground and move it away from where you don't want the oak tree to grow? Or would it be easier to let an oak tree grow until it's 10 years old and then try to pull it out with your truck? Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you right now? The thoughts are these seeds, okay? And then those seeds turn into little saplings. Those are the little sins. Those are the little fudge. Step over the line just a little bit. This is uh, gateway drugs. Oh, it's not so wrong. I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to try it. Pretty soon I'm addicted to it. Now, there are some drugs people are like, well, that, that's not, it's not addictive, and yet they won't give them up. I know one person that is sitting in jail right now because he would not go and get a regular uh, drug test because he was so in love with smoking marijuana. But it's not addictive, right? Then why do you let it wreck your life? Right? It's the same. It doesn't matter if it's legal or illegal. The reality is, if it gets a hold of you, you need to pull that up as a sapling. You need to pull that, you need to lift it up as a seed and you need to move it away. You're taking that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You're submitting that, you're surrendering that to Jesus moment by moment throughout the day. That, my friend, is how you overcome sin. That, my friend, is how you do spiritual warfare. You're carrying on a constant prayer with God throughout the day, all the time, and you're not letting anything interfere with that. So if the music you're listening to or the talk radio show you're listening to or the movie that you watch or the video game that you play, if that is interfering with your ability to commune with God, to communicate with God because it is filling your head with nonsense or outright evil, then you need to get rid of it. It's just that simple. You need to have a clear relation. And listen, this, this applies to how we, we deal with negative people, by the way. It's not possible to steer clear of negative people 100% of the time. Y'all know that, right? But I don't have to spend all my time with people who fill my life with strife and negativity. 
you know, I, I've been to, and it's been, it's been a while, so nobody in this room needs to worry, but I've been to the door of people's homes that as soon as the door opens, I mean, strife hits me like a wall. You know, there, there were Greek goddesses that represented this. Mythology was just the way for the Greeks to tell stories and, and help understand what was going on in the world. Uh, all of the Greeks and all the Romans didn't necessarily believe in these gods, but sometimes it's interesting to look at mythology as a, as a way of just kind of understanding things. We don't believe in Greek gods or goddesses, but there, there were uh, Greek goddesses of strife, Eris. They came, this is like demons, Right? The demon of strife. I'm guaranteeing you, that's it, okay? Those of you that have siblings, how many of you have brothers and sisters in this room? Yeah, you ever been in, you've ever been in, in strife with them? You ever been in fights with them? You ever been in arguments with them? Yeah. You're like, I am right now. That's what happens. I need to take that thought captive. How dare she? What did she just say? That's no. I need to take that thought captive immediately to the obedience of Christ. I need to recognize that sometimes you just need to give up. You just need to give in. You just need to compromise on that particular issue. You don't always need to be right. Sure, sister, you're right. You can have it. That's fine. I'm going to rely on the Lord for my reward. I don't always have to win. I don't always have to be the smartest. I don't always have the last have to have the last word. I don't always have to eat the last piece of cake. I don't always have to have the last piece of pizza. In fact, if you're going to walk like Jesus, the first will be last and the last will be first. That means even though you're hungry and you'd like the last piece of pizza, you offer it to your brother or your sister. No, I insist. You can take it. Even though you know in the back of your mind, oh, I'd kind of like it though. Well, then you're going to get a better reward from the Lord. All right. All right. Well, that's the end of my message today. Hopefully you understand that this is a spiritual war and hopefully the Lord has given you some truth here. Uh, the band's going to come back up. We're going to do one more song here. If you would like to talk to somebody about your relationship with Christ, uh, we would be happy to do that. Uh, Pastor Craig will be over here. I'll be over here. And uh, we'd be happy to help you with that. Once again, we'd like to have your feedback. Uh, if you'll just go to lifefulchurch.com, let us know what you thought. Uh, those of you that are watching, uh, you can do that. Um, you can do it now, or if you're watching on your phone and you're worried about losing this while you try to do that, then you can wait till later, but it's lifewillchurch.com. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this group of people that are here and those that are watching online. I pray, Father, that you have filled us up with so much truth that we will be able to carry on this spiritual war, and we will be overcomers. You called us to be overcomers. You said that we will overwhelmingly have victory if we trust in you, and so that's what we do. In Jesus' name, amen.